0: Welcome to episode one seventy seven of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined again today by Ryan Top and Paul Noonan. Guys, I guess we could consider this maybe like the last off season episode since uh, spring training games actually get underway today. Are are you excited to uh, listen to some fake baseball? Yeah, absolutely. I love fake baseball. Like. It's not as good as real baseball
1: but I love baseball mostly as just background consumption like I watch it more intently than probably most people but when it's going on I have it on like all the time and I miss not having it on when it's not when it's the off season so yes this is great even though it's fake
0: I am
2: mm-hmm. wondering so Steve always reset the seasons when spring training started and I didn't do it last time. I suppose this is the first episode of season five then of uh, Milwaukee's tailgate. I hadn't thought of that until just this very yeah. moment, but I guess this is season five. So, welcome to season five, everybody. Welcome
0: to season five. <laughs> I'll pull a poll with the reporting as eligible and just totally forget. <laughs>
1: episode whatever. I, Who cares? Episode whatever.
0: I at least put it at the top of the rundown. So, I, I like, forget I, it, but I yeah.
1: will always, one of my favorite RAE moments is JR saying, The first thing I want to know when I start listening to a podcast is which number it is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, at a certain point, it becomes bragging, right?
0: Yep. Right. Yeah. It's like Effectively Wild it's, episode 3,842. Exactly. That's yeah. that's the whole thing is Effectively Wild just drives it because they're
1: basically daily and have been forever. So they have thousands of episodes.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then at a certain point, it sort of becomes like, oh, my God, what am I doing with my life? Right. So.
0: Exactly. Right. right. All right. So I guess this, this makes it the season premiere. Yeah. we have to be yeah. like extra good now to, to make sure it's we really have The it, ratings it's, are going to be week. judged on this. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, players actually show up to spring training. We have a little bit to talk about some uh, news and notes, not a, anything really, I guess, too significant. Although we were just talking about this and Christian Yelich has given some really weird ass creepy comments that I shouldn't say <laughs> creepy, but it's like, very concerning. <laughs> that uh he's being super cryptic and you know maybe maybe we're a little less confident in how good he's going to be this year but we're gonna get to that in a minute because uh a couple other things i want to mention first i guess the big story is uh avi garcia literally looks like a new person i don't know if you've seen the pictures of him out there but <laughs> i you know, saw a video like and i'm like, like that's avi like Garcia, Garcia. year old again good yeah Lord. It's, it's crazy he lost damn near 40 pounds this offseason. That's insane, uh, in just, by the way. In just a few that's, months, right? Like, that, that's borderline not healthy, right? It, like, it is borderline not healthy.
1: I mean, it, if he was a huge guy to start with, you know, then then that could maybe be healthy. But it's not like Avi Garcia was, like, super out of shape or anything. No, it's I a mean, weird it a guy to have lose 40 pounds. I mean, it was he played center field last year, for goodness sake. Um, right. And I normally am a last year was like a year for breaking Paul's heuristics on things, especially on football, because usually best shape of their life is just meaningless drivel. But then, like for the Packers, Jamal Williams did it and got way better. And so now I have to actually take it seriously when these kinds of things happen. And I'm mad about that. So maybe he's going to be super good. That'd be great.
2: I mean, it does occasionally pay off. Like guys do have big seasons after they like reshape their body. Randy Rosarena is like prime example number one of this he was like a non-prospect nobody thought anything of him nobody cared and then all of a sudden he gets totally jacked during shutdown and next thing you know he's like single-handedly carrying the Rays' offense to the world series
1: yeah i think one of the things that it shows too aside from just getting in better shape like getting in better shape helps your baseball a little bit but not a ton most of baseball is you know reaction time and but what it really does show sometimes is a change in work ethic because yeah. it's hard to start exercise regimens. I'm everybody has you know at some point tried it with yeah. varying success, it. and <laughs> yeah, like if if you can do that and actually make that change, it does translate into sometimes better habits and practice, which also go to baseball skills and football skills and basketball right. skills too. So it's it's possible it makes a difference.
0: Yeah. And I wrote about this on Brew Crew Ball, too, that, you know, usually when you have somebody lose this much weight, you're kind of worried, like, OK, what's it going to do to their power? But, you know, Avi didn't really hit for any power anyway. So, hey, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Avi start legging
0: out grounders. grounders. Woo. Well,
2: we he, it's not like he was ever slow. And now he should be even faster, he's
0: not like... slow. He's very fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was he's like top 20 uh, percent or something. It's Corey Hartspeed. Speed. Yeah. Yeah. It's those long strides. Right. He looks yeah. like he's slow, but he's making up a lot of ground
2: remember Uh, how quickly that fell apart he went from the fastest guy to the slowest guy in like what like a season yeah it just happens so fast
1: we should add tall man speed to old player skills because um it when you have a fast tall guy it does not last most of the time those knees start to get
0: get bad after a while yeah exactly exactly so I guess when you talk about Avi Garcia, it's not like he was, he was slow or bad defensively. So I guess maybe adding the speed <laughs> makes him even better defensively. And on the base. I, I thought it was interesting. Somebody had pointed out on Twitter too the last time that Avi had like this kind of uh transformation in an off season was like before one of his few really good years. I think it was like the last time he had a good season with the white Sox. It was something like this. So, Hey, uh-huh. he, he's done this before. I just find it hard to believe that uh, cutting out salt and sugar, laying off the the chips and soda, led to 40 pounds lost (laughs) in like three months.
2: Maybe he really liked the chips and soda.
0: I I can't blame him. No. Yeah. It's just, you know, speaking as somebody who's gained like 20 pounds in the last year, he's just like one of three people in the world who's lost weight in the last year. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, I, I guess we'll see where that goes. If he can pick up the, the on base and be an asset on the on the bases, you know, suddenly you feel a little bit better about him. And you had the the spring training videos of him hitting the ball in the air, Paul. So that's an improvement too. It
1: is. It's one of those things I plan on watching very keenly on spring training, even if you know, just on the approach, just on the coachability aspect of it. Like, it's I, if he doesn't have results hitting the ball in the air, I'll take that as long as he's trying to do it. So. Um, One of my key things to look for when they actually start that up.
0: Yeah. Speaking of other things to, to look for or what everybody's watching, I we kind of talked about this last week, too, but it's kind of how the infield alignment shapes up. You know, we, we saw some, you know, Travis shot third Urias at shortstop this week. Some of those videos circulating uh you know they're talking about playing RC at third base a lot more and and he talked about that and being willing to do whatever to to help the team read uh, in between the lines i think he realizes he needs to to stay on the team but something that like caught my eye too and i think this might have been um Will Salmon with the Athletics snuck in there that they're also going to look at RC in center field some this spring <laughs> which, <laughs> that that just sounds crazy but it's fun uh that's your bill cops get started there you go. Yeah, exactly. It, it worked out so well for Bill Hall. I, I think actually we did see Arcea in center for like four innings of a blowout last year, but we're not going to count that. But I, I guess, uh, Ryan, is, is Orlando Arcia a center fielder? Well, not like
2: consistently, but the idea <laughs> that he could be a backup there and that that could free you up roster wise to do some different things and not necessarily have to carry a backup center fielder if that's not the best way to utilize your roster then maybe I could see it. I don't think he's going to be a negative out there. Like it's just a question of, can he get to the point where he's, you know, average to above average? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you've got Yelich and left and Garcia and right that can cover a little bit more ground. So maybe you don't worry about that. I think that's, Part of it, the center field thing always kind of bugs me because it, it's
1: way harder to play than the other outfield spots. Like, it's the captain of the outfield. It's the guy who covers for the other two. It does help that, that the other two, in this case, are are good, but I, I, I get why you do it. His bat's not good enough to carry you in the corners, and you got to play him if you're going to play him somewhere where his bat is halfway decent, and center field is that. But uh, that's a tough transition. I mean, center field, the, the difference between the best center fielder and the worst center fielder... I feel like it's pretty drastic, and if you put a replacement level guy out there, I think you lose a lot on defense, especially with guys hitting it in the air a lot, especially with the ball maybe being a little deader and staying in the park more this year. Right. It seems like it's more important defensively than it usually is. So, I mean, more power to It's a Brewer thing to do. You put guys where, wherever they'll possibly play. That's what they have always done since you know Craig's been here. But ah, uh, I don't know if he could pull it off. Great.
2: I think that it makes sense if Kane is going to be basically an everyday player who gets just a very occasional rest as opposed to a guy that is getting maybe a day off a week then it makes less sense yeah so if he's getting one day off every three weeks yes fine if it's you know one or two days a week you know like if he's maxing out at five days per week of uh of starting games then it probably doesn't make sense
0: Right. And, you know, we've talked about the fourth outfielder situation a little bit in the last couple of weeks. They're still trying to figure that out. And you the last <laughs> week, there was a, a rumor that might address that. But we've got a question about that. We'll get to a little bit later. Uh, but on the topic of the outfield, I kind of mentioned the cryptic Christian Yelich uh, comments, which, you know, Yelich can be the king of cryptic tom- comments from time to time, too. But uh, this quote, I think, kind of, all made us kind of stop and say, wait a minute. So uh, we'll, we'll pull this from the Journal Sentinel, Tom Hoddercourt's article a couple of days ago uh, talking about Christian Yelich. You know, I guess he, there, there was talk that he, he put in a lot of work this past winter, obviously not happy with the way last season went, trying to figure out what went wrong. There was talk that he actually flew out to Nashville for like a personal one-on-one hitting session with Andy Haynes, which could be either good or concerning. <laughs> and I think Paul, we'll get to your thoughts on that in a little bit. But I wanted to read the quote first. So uh, basically that asked him, what the hell, man, what, what happened? And he said, quote, after looking back on it and kind of understanding it, I have a feeling of kind of what happened and hopefully I'm able to turn that around this year said, I don't really want to get too into it or too deep into why. I feel like I know and I have a handle on it and some other people do as well, but it is what it is. You can't change it. It happened. I guess, Paul, your reaction sure. to that and, and first, how, first all, how worried
1: are you about this? So pretty worried. Um, we'll get into that in a second. But first of all, my theory is right. Um, I'll just come out and say <laughs> it. My, my theory on Yelich is correct that he was a head case about um, hitting in his opposite side pitching mode where he's a dead pull guy who crushes the ball for power. And he was not, I mean, he wasn't afraid, but subconsciously afraid of smashing into his knee. I'm pretty sure that's, what's wrong here. Um, the reason I'm pretty sure at this point is uh, he, what he just said, what he admitted to is he has a weird problem. You know, uh, if you have like, it, just to work on your swing or iron out some rust, or uh, that doesn't make any sense. You can't iron out rust. Rust is on iron. If, if you have to, you know, <laughs> just get, Dust off, like if you have to make minor adjustments, those are things you just have to do. You just say, "Oh, I just had to tweak a few things to get back to normal." Like we worked worked in the cage, got my swing back to normal, found a mechanical flaw, whatever. But if it's, uh, we know what it is. I'm not going to talk about it. That's different. That's, yeah. um, That is a a flaw that a you don't want to admit or talk about, which is probably a mental thing because people have problems admitting to mental issues, even though they shouldn't. Um, And it required a special. Uh, or he, at least yellowish thought it required special attention to deal with, not just being in the cage, not just going through his normal routine. So, um, uh, Obviously, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. This is still all speculation, but when you see a guy who deviate, especially a baseball player, deviate from the norm, it means they have a problem that's not the norm because baseball players are creatures of habit and most of the time, the way to get back to being yourself is to get back into your habit. When you go out of it, that means something was broken. So, um, I do think that my theory has some credence for that reason. And, uh, I mean, hopefully they, they took a, a proactive approach along those lines. Like one of the easiest ways to go about fixing something like this is actually just to put a shield in the way, like get a knee pad on the guy. Often that'll fix a mental problem like this really quick. It puts some armor on. I mean, but we've seen guys do that forever when they've had similar problems, like bonds always had armor and Bagwell always had armor and just do that. That probably goes a long way. So, um, I, I don't like weird problems because weird problems often are hard to fix. Like Chuck Knobloch losing the ability to throw to first base, never got fixed. Um, Steve Blast disease, impossible to fix. Mental problems can be tough. But um, the fact that he said they understood what it was, they worked on it, and he thinks it's going to get better, that's, yeah. that's that's good. That means they've had some success dealing with it. And acknowledging such things is often a big step in the right direction. So. Yeah, I, I'm less optimistic than I would be if it was a normal problem. But at least they did something to deal with it. <laughs>
2: yeah, and I think what you're talking about with some sort of armor or whatever, even if it isn't like effective, even if it just makes him feel better, yeah, great. That's placebo uh, it. Yeah, placebo. is are of good. It. Yeah, all you need to do is let him to you know get back to not thinking about it as much. And if you put something there that does provide a slight bit of protection, then all the better. But I don't think you have to do anything dramatic with that, if this is, in fact, what we're talking about. And it could be other things, too. I wondered if it was personal. Remember that weird thing last year with him all of a sudden disappearing off of Twitter? His Twitter account went away, and then it just reappeared? Like, that was strange,
1: right? That was weird. That was strange. We don't know much about Christian Yelich's personal life at all, do we? I mean, he kind of stays out of the limelight for the most part.
2: No, it's like he wants to be in the limelight when he's at the ballpark and like being the center of attention there is what he wants. But outside of that, it's like he's perfectly willing and happy to like fade into the back. So, we just don't know, but that was my first thought with it was it's something weird and personal and he needed to like get over that and figure that out. We'll see. He obviously is still a very talented hitter. The thing is, we've already seen him make big adjustments in his game from the time that he was in Florida to the time he was in Milwaukee. Baseball, especially hitting, is a game of adjustments. And we'll see. The fact that he was already able to make one big adjustment makes me think that he has a good chance to be able to successfully make another adjustment if that's what this is. It's just a question of figuring out exactly how to do that. And I don't read that much into the idea of Andy Haynes. Like we've both read the uh, the MVP machine and that's become pretty common where guys go to work yeah. with, and this is even not even a private hitting instructor. This is the team's hitting instructor that he's working with, but guys go and do this sort of thing, especially, you know, coming off a bad year like this. I, I'm not inclined to read a whole lot into that, but. It is this is a pretty high stakes thing for the Brewers because Christian Yelich is so important to them on so many levels. They really can't the next 7-8 years if he really has like significantly decreased his his abilities, that is going to haunt the team for the next 7-8 years. The the stakes are very high on this. It's going to be very hard for them to be a really excellent team if he doesn't get back to not necessarily MVP level, but you know, solidly well above average hitter. Yep. It's going to be hard for them. So there's, yeah. there's a lot riding on it.
1: I might be, I might be slightly more negative than usual too. Cause I read, I got my prospectus annual, like I got the actual physical copy the other day, which is how I prefer to read it. And um, I think it was Matthew Trueblood wrote the brewer section and basically wrote the whole thing is about whether Yelich will decline or not <laughs> and, and how important it is. But uh, Ryan, also a very good point, like MVP level Christian Yelich was, is a relatively new phenomenon. And right. he, he was viewed as a good, but not great hitter coming out of the, the the Marlins. And, you know, he made changes to turn himself into this. And so guys like that, who are, who are um, take coaching well um, and are happy to make adjustments. We don't get rigidly set in their ways, do tend to bounce back from these things better just across all
0: sports. So, That's a good reason to be optimistic. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think it goes without saying, too, the last year has been hard psychologically for just about everybody. We should just throw a 2020. It's stupid to take it 2020 for anything. It really is. Right. So even if it was a psychological, you know, mental block or whatever, he's far from the only guy who who struggled with that. And I think we've seen that with some of the quotes from the guys in camp, too, where everybody just up and down the line, did Yelich I think even say that himself like everybody is like just raring to get back to it and get back to normal or at least what feels like normal you know normal-ish spring training normal full season schedule fans coming back at some point I think you know everybody's just kind of really itching to to get back to you know forgetting last year altogether and, and get back to some sense of normalcy which you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see other guys even beyond Yelich kind of bounce back because last year was just so abnormal and and weird all the way around. So fingers crossed, because like you guys said, uh, <laughs> Christian Yelich pretty much decides how uh, how good this Brewers offense is going to be. Yep. And you, you need him at some sort of all-star level to really make things work. So uh, fingers crossed on that. Uh, so we did have a ton of patreon questions and and twitter questions to get to which is awesome i can tell everybody is kind of excited now that baseball is kind of back in earnest so uh let's just dive right into the questions a reminder uh patrons get question priority you can help support the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash mke tailgate five bucks a month gets you with the monthly minor league extra podcast with ryan and james anderson Uh, Reminder, they did have Ben Badler on the other week, and it's still definitely worth checking out if you haven't already. Well worth that 5 bucks a month. You also get some reporting as eligible mini-pods from Paul through the Packers offseason. And a reminder, Paul is giving away free stuff. Isn't that right? It is.
1: And by the time you hear this, it will actually probably have happened. But (laughs) Ah, (laughs) if you... If, that's fine. If you are if you are a $5 patron, um, we, we give stuff away once in a while. Matt's good at getting us swag. So um, I, I got a hoodie and two t-shirts to give away and I'll be doing that um, on, on the first to all patrons. And, um, you know, whenever I happen to have stuff roll in, which is more than I thought it would happen, <laughs> uh, we, we'll, we'll keep giving stuff away. So um, appreciate go. everybody's
0: support. There You go, just remember bribery always works. So, yep. uh, five bucks a month, you get some free stuff. And we're working some on we're awesome working on fun off season RAE stuff too. But it's
1: still too early to tell you about. But if you want to give me five bucks based on that stupid tease I just did,
0: go for it. <laughs> I will say, some of it sounds really, really awesome. Uh, hopefully, it all falls into place. So, uh, definitely worth that. Uh, five dollars on spec, just do it. it, it'll be worth it. Trust me. <laughs> All right, uh, some Brewers questions to get to. We'll start with Brad Westness. He actually has a couple of questions here. He says, number one, assuming third base is now addressed with some combination of Shaw and Urias, what are the biggest remaining areas of need? And part two, do we think restaurant to be named later is the permanent name for what used to be TGI Friday's? (laughs) It's a clever name, but he suspected at first it was just a way to cover that so they didn't have to reveal the real name until after the Ampam changeover. Seems like it's staying though. So I guess, uh, Paul, let's start with you. Uh, take whichever of those questions you want. Sure. But <laughs> I think it's it's still first base. More they could just use another bat, and
1: it's a place to get it there. But, um, uh, they've they've kind of got it set so that every position's okay. But I, I, I do think they could add a, a decent bat there, and that, that's the one really in need. But they, it it depends too. Like maybe Keston here actually covers that fine. Um, Maybe with Vogelbach, that platoon is good enough. It's a a scenario with the Brewers where it's actually kind of hard to drastically improve on any given position when you look at it individually. And the real answer probably is still third base, Um, even though it's addressed with Shaw. Travis Shaw's actually struggled for a while. There's some indications in in his bat speed that he's actually not that good anymore. So the real answer is probably that. They could still use a third baseman. But you're kind of looking at marginal upgrades across the rest of the, the offense. And that's kind of it. Um, first base and third base, same as before. I mean, if you could find a great catcher out there, the answer is maybe catcher. But if Narvaez bounces back, and that's fine, too. Pini is fine, too. So uh, it's third, the answer is still third base. Excluding third base, it's first base. And there, I, I actually find the restaurant name more clever than most people. I think I actually like it, and <laughs> I wish they would. I I hope and wish they would keep it forever. Um, I, I think like it's the kind of thing I would come up with. So I also understand why didn't. I also understand why it annoys the hell out of people because it is a stupid pun um, that will annoy the hell out of people. But I I really like it, so I think that they should keep it.
0: It's like the dad jokes of restaurants. It is.
1: It's a dad joke restaurant. So I'm I'm a dad. So I like it. That, that works out nice. It, yeah.
2: I mean, if they have good food. I don't really care what it's called.
1: Yeah, who cares? As long as it's a good place to actually check in once in a while, I don't care what its name is. It, you know what? Anything's better than Friday's because it's it, it's lame to have a Friday's be the bar at the, at the place. Like do something <laughs> yeah. different than that. No, no offense to of Friday's, but you're an Applebee's.
2: They are. But I did really enjoy their uh, their Long Island's. Though, they wouldn't let you take them out of there. That was weird, because they, they let you have alcohol everywhere in the park. <laughs> but they wouldn't let you take the Long Islands out of their little pen there.
1: Also... Which, which is very strange. It's nice that you like their Long Islands, but the, the Long Island iced tea is a drink that has... It has no... There's no scope of good to bad on a Long Island iced tea. It is just a Long Island iced tea. There's not a good one. There's not a bad one. It's the same every time. There's no way to make like a craft Long Island iced tea. Um, so as long as they keep it, it doesn't matter what the restaurant's called.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that that's true enough. So anyway, going back to the other thing I said this last week, I'm just going to stick with my answer. Uh, relief pitchers. You can never have too many. Might as well just go. And we have some indication that they have been looking and that they were close and or were interested, at least, before Trevor Rosenthal signed with the A's in bringing him into Milwaukee. So there you go.
0: Yeah, I don't know if third base is entirely settled. I'm with Paul on that. You know, we had the quotes in the last week. Uh, Robertson feels like that's really his spot, and and he thinks he can be really stellar there. He's I had hope one he's right. In the season. Yeah. I mean, that would that would make things a lot easier, right? Uh, we also had you know Travis Shaw talking about you know maybe what went wrong the last time around. He talked about how the whole launch angle thing got into his head, and if you look at his numbers, like that last year in Milwaukee it was it spiked it was a career high and he just couldn't catch up to anything because he was trying to lift everything and then he was popping everything up you know we we lived through that season it was either a strikeout or a lazy fly right and he corrected that somewhat in Toronto last year so there's some hope there that if he can get back to being more of a line drive hitter maybe that kind of fixes it but he's also still largely a platoon bat so
2: but the heavy side of the platoon
0: yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and, you know, he he's had a lot of success yeah. against righties. And, you know, if the if the Brewers had finally dropped the idea of starting him against lefties, <laughs> maybe he could be a, a valuable piece. But, you know, I think Paul makes an interesting point, too. Like the Brewers are at a point where their depth is really good, but it, it makes it hard to get that extra like what, three or four war, war that they need to. It really does. It really does. Up, right.
1: It's a um, weird problem teams have sometimes where there's. Like I call it the Uni betoncourt problem. Like, if you have Uni betoncourt it's very easy to get much better. If you don't, you know, it costs a lot to get a win when you have to get that win spread over four positions.
0: It, it's it's a weird spot to be in. Right. Absolutely. Uh, next Patreon question comes from Brian Polakowski. He's actually got a couple here, and they're both kind of just interesting little trivia pieces about the forty-man roster, uh, which I thought was kind of fun. So he is asking currently 20 of the 40 man roster are pitchers. Do you think David Stearns adds another to help cover all the innings with the guys limited due to last year's low workload, Uh, which I think is a interesting point. And, you know, we've touched on it a couple of times, but there's going to be a ton of innings and inning increases to worry about this year. So I'll get to Brian's second question in a second here, but I guess Paul, I, Well, Ryan, you already said you think they need more relief pitchers to help cover this problem. Paul, how do you feel about it?
1: I still agree with Ryan. Like, this is, especially this season, uh, the Brewers can always never have enough relief pitching because of the way they operate and because of their starting pitching philosophy. But this season especially, coming off of a season of just limited workloads and low workloads, you, you really can't. This is, like, to the nth degree. They do need more arms. If they want to play their style of baseball they're going to have to bring in a few more. So, And and I I do agree. The only reason I say it's not a need, really, is their top end is so good, but they do need some depth arms. They still need guys to cover innings. They need need quality. They can cover multiple innings and spell starters at some point. So I I, I agree with that. They'll still bring some in.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be very, very important for the Brewers to get performances out of some guys that are pretty far down on this list right now. I think you're Mm going to have to get Alec Bettinger and uh, Dylan File, you are going to have to get something out of one of them at least, if not both, at some point in the season. Whether or not that's just covering some innings at a reasonably competent level, that yeah, that that's kind of the bare minimum. I think they're going to have to get out of guys like that, but they're going to have to to find ways to get this and. Craig council was talking about that this week. He said, it's a fitting a puzzle together that you are looking to try to figure out how the innings thing work and you have to sort of take it on a day by day basis and figure out what you need to get through the next day going forward. And then, you know, take it out beyond that into long-term planning. They're going to have to do some creative things because the way that they ran things in the past is not necessarily sustainable if they are going to really be up against these innings limits. So, yeah. it, they're going to have to get creative and figure out ways to do this. On the positive side, they do seem to be built around pitching depth. So, yeah. they're probably better equipped to do this than most teams, but we'll still have to see how well it it eventually ends up working out. <clears throat>
0: I was going to yep. say, yeah, they, they have the advantage of going like maybe 20 deep with reasonable arms. You know, when we were looking at the pacota projections, there were, what, 20 guys with 100 uh, ERA pluses or whatever. Yep. Uh, so, so there's that. And also, you know, Craig loves a puzzle. So if there's any <laughs> manager who could probably figure this out, I think I would trust Council more than maybe some other managers across the league, you know. Yeah, this is his wheelhouse. This is what he's he's really shown himself to be adept at and good at. Absolutely. And, you know, last year we were talking, you know, Paul made the point that maybe the Brewers were kind of hurt because everybody had to manage, like, Craig Council to get through a shortened season, right? Yeah, I was and, right about that, and it was annoying. Yeah, and, and now we're back stretched out and now kind of have the opposite problem, right? And I don't know if you can trust many managers to kind of figure out these pieces to fit together. I think you know, it'll be interesting to see which guys or which teams get off to a hot start because they're just operating like everything's normal and then which ones fall apart in August and September because they just hit a wall. Right. So it'll be interesting to see. And and I think it'll be important for Brewers fans too. you know, I'm sure within the first two weeks of the season, we're going to have the the bitching about why'd you take that guy out or he was rolling. (laughs) And, and, you know, you, you need to remember that they're they need to operate on this season long scope. And and there's a lot more at play than just trying yeah. to get through the next day sometimes. So, all right. Uh, Brian's second 40 man question is a little bit more depressing. I think for us, he says also looking at the 40 man, only five of the 40 and three NRIs were born uh, in the eighties. Still no two thousands kids yet. Bryce Terang was born in 1999 in November of 99. Does that make you feel old? And which of Anderson, Lynn Bloom, Suter, Pena, or Kane will end up with the longest career? Okay. So first, yes, I, I feel terribly old that there's only what five guys born in the eighties as an eighties, late eighties kid myself. That's, that's kind of depressing. Uh, and I know you <laughs> two are older than me. So I, do you guys feel old? So I'm an old man and I am past this.
1: Um, I, This, <laughs> this has already happened to me like five times. Um, I've already gone through like, Various, can you believe this person was born in this decade? Problem, and I don't care anymore. So uh, I'm actually, I actually am legit surprised that there are no people in the 2000s yet. Um, I I would bet, I would bet everything I own that that's not true. So uh, I actually feel a little bit younger because of the fact that you just said not older. So I'm happy about that. So thank you. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so I think about the fact that one of my favorite pieces of trivia was the first player from the 1980s to play in the big leagues was Rafael Foucault, came up in 1999 with the Braves, and that seemed so wild to me because I'm a 1979 baby, so 1980s is like after me, and thinking about the fact that Rafael Foucault, what has he been out of the league now, like almost 10 years?
1: A long time. I bet it's longer than that. I'm gonna look it up.
2: I think he was on that Cardinals annoying team. Like he had his his swan song with that the
0: the eleven Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like, but that was like the very end of his career. He really there wasn't much left at that point for him.
1: So yeah. Okay. Twenty twelve. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So with the card.
2: Yeah, I. This one, yeah, this it does hit, but yeah, I'm (laughs) I'm kind of past the point because I think. I don't think there's any major league players that are younger than me right now <laughs> or uh, sorry that are older than me uh, older, older than me than, yeah. yes there yeah you go. I don't They're think old. there are any that are older than me right now so I'm kind of past that point I don't know what the next milestone gets to it's like when I guess like the kids start oh I, I definitely had that moment you guys saw that the Prince Fielder video the um sorry what's his oldest kid's name Jaden
0: yeah yeah
2: yeah, when I okay, saw that video. A
0: couple years from being draft eligible, isn't it? Yeah, he's a freshman <laughs> in
2: high school, and you saw the swing, and it's like he's his daddy's swing, but without that body. He yep. like has like an athlete's body as opposed to you know Prince's body. <laughs> yeah. And I just saw it and was like, oh, God, that is – because it really was. It was like a very visceral feeling because Prince Fielder has a very distinct swing, like yeah. very extremely distinct swing, and his son, it's the same damn swing. It really yep. is.
1: Right. I actually went through this on reporting is eligible on the, the last episode when Matt mentioned that the Packers should get Asante Samuel, and I was like, can he still play? And Matt said, no, no, his kid, <laughs> um, because Asante, Samuel, <laughs> Asante Samuel's kid is in the draft and the best cornerback in the draft, and Asante Samuel last played in 2013, which is not that long ago, right. so um, you should be out of the league longer than eight years before you have a kid coming into yeah. the league, in my opinion, so... Uh, but yeah, that had made...
0: the same issue with uh, Antoine Winfield, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: I, that one still messes me up. I'm like, Antoine yep.
0: Winfield, that guy's still around. No, it's his kid. <laughs> I, I remember when
1: Ricky Weeks had a junior to the back of his jersey. And yeah. I, I spent like two weeks thinking that Ricky Weeks had a kid in the league. And nope, it was just Ricky Weeks changing his name. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're probably like two years away from that, though, too. I mean, probably so. Have... We had we had Steve Arshiet sign a national letter of intent this year, right? Ugh. So, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, we're we're coming up on that. So, yeah, that that def- I maybe this hits me harder because you guys have already gone through this, and I'm just starting to get into. Yeah, I mean, once it gets to kids born in the 2000s, I'm gonna be like, I was almost in high school <laughs> at that point, and mm-hmm. these kids are born then, and they're their majors. So, ugh, man time sucks anyway uh so uh brian brian's second part of his question let's let's talk about that uh longest career between uh anderson Lindblom, Suter, Pena, or kane
2: so when you say longest career does that include from the beginning to the end or who will be the oldest when they retire because those are i think different questions (laughs) well especially because my answer here, I think, is if it's that, it's Brent Suter. Suter's gonna, yeah, Suter gonna will be forever. Right? will be playing until he's like, yeah, until he's like forty-five. Jamie Boyer, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah,
2: yes, like that. That seems pretty much inevitable. I would say Anderson too, because also crafty lefty, but he's had injury issues in a way that Suter yeah. hasn't.
0: So, but Brent Anderson's already been around forever, hasn't he? Like, I feel he's not like that he old though. He's
2: only like thirty-three because he came up really young.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, didn't he come up at, like, 20 or 21 or something? Yeah, he so was he up like young he's with these. 2009 he debuted. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's possible for defensive catchers to last forever, but I think it's less common now people are better at getting their catchers ready. And Kane just, I, I'm tempted to say that because he's still very good and athletic at an already old age. But he yeah. also moves like an old, he's moved like an old man <laughs> when he's not on the field for, like, five years now. And I have a feeling he's just gonna hit a steep drop off at some point. So
2: yeah, I don't know how much of that is him just playing possum and just that's know, like his kind of his his yeah. jokey thing. But <laughs> the the other thing about Kane too is if you're talking about like trying to read the tea leaves, the fact that he walked away last year, the way he yeah, did shows me he's not necessarily a guy who's looking he like he doesn't need to be on the field to feel like like a whole person, the, the way yep, that right. some people are. And I'm not even like necessarily denigrating that. I'm just saying everybody's kind of wired a little bit differently. Even these highly competitive people are are wired very differently. And I think he's not going to have as much of a problem walking away. So I think he's probably like I wouldn't be surprised if the end of this contract he's just like, you know what, I've done yeah. what I want to do in baseball. I've made my money and I'm going to go, you know, enjoy my kids' teenage yeah. years, you know, the years when they're they're fun people as opposed to me just having to wrangle them all the time.
0: Yep. Right. That's a good call. Kane's it won't be surprising. Won. Yeah, Kane's definitely one, I think. You know, if he gets a ring, maybe he just thinks about quitting at that point, too. You know, because I, I feel like that's the one thing he's probably waiting for, right? Like, well, he, he has he, a ring. He, he has a ring. That's true. I so. always forget the Royer, <laughs> another ring. Man, those those Royals teams, I just feel like never happened. It's it's. Well, it's very implausible. It's it's a good
1: sign that we're actually living in a simulation because the Royals and Ned Yost won a championship. That happened. It's incredible. I mean, the
2: (laughs) fourteen thing was a total fluke, but then again, the fact that the the Giants were there, that entire thing was a World
0: Series was insane. But the
2: fifteen team was. I mean, that was a ninety-five win team. They were legitimately really good. They were they, really good. They but were it's, built it, really well.
1: The Royals don't have. So th- there is no reason that the Royals should have been able to build a really good team. They had bad ownership. They had a bad manager. <laughs> well, it was just, because
2: Dayton Moore put together maybe the best farm system of all time.
1: Sure, but he's Dayton Moore, and he's usually bad at that kind of thing. He hasn't yeah. been good at it since, and he wasn't good at it before.
2: <laughs> well, no, no, no. Like their their farm system is really ascendant right now again. So they've. They're. He's good at putting together farm systems. The rest of it not so much but putting together <laughs> yeah. identifying talent they're kind of, they have that like john Schurholz thing and that's the where he came from was the Schurholz regime they're very good at identifying talent and 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 bringing it up it, some of the other stuff the utilization of that talent finding talent elsewhere <laughs> yeah. some of that gets much trickier for them but yeah they they're good at building from within
0: and I will say, too, like they were smart enough to know that they had to build for that ballpark, too. You know, you're not going to find 40 home run sluggers. That's true. That Coleman ballpark stadium, right? is insane. So, and must so, be difficult. yeah, exactly. And you saw that with like the return for the Grinke trade, right? Like they got Escobar for defense. They got Kane like they, they built for speed. And luckily for them, they'd like to play that game. So Well, and then the way that know. they
2: they did their center field thing where Kane would bump over into the corners late in game so they could have. I'm forgetting who it was. Was it Gore? It was the center field Maybe. like just pure speed, like absolutely yeah. flyer? Like they really had kind of a system set up there.
1: And then well they had a Ned proof bullpen too. They had, well they had the-,
2: the thing was with Ned in 2014, he was a, a liability in how he managed that bullpen. And then he actually like basically somebody sat down with him in, in that offseason and said, Look, you have to you have to get over this. You need to be better at running the bullpen. And then in 15, he actually used that bullpen the way you should, which was go to them fairly early and don't necessarily worry about who follows who and making sure that this guy starts this inning and whatever. It was like, no, just get the outs and then get to the next guy. And it worked. And part of that was they built. Yeah, they were three, three or four incredibly good relievers.
1: Yeah, right. Right, that right. Proof prove both, then.
0: Yep, yep. Always best. Uh, back to the Brewers. We talked about this a little bit earlier, kind of teased it. Uh, fourth outfielder situation. Adam Post's question kind of deals with that. Uh, rumor that we heard in the last week that the Brewers were checking in on Jackie Bradley Jr., which led to some people, like, going all through the too many outfielders. Oh, my God, where are they going to play that <laughs> thing again? Uh, like it was a few years ago already. So Adam's question is after the Brewers were recently linked to having checked in on Jackie Bradley jr. Should we read much into the Brewers looking at a center fielder or late in the off season? Is this just what David Stearns does check in on any free agent who has not signed yet? I guess, Paul, what's your take on that?
1: It's just what he does. And if you can get Jackie Bradley jr. Who's a good player and can contribute in center field, which is a tough position to have backups in. Um, that's, that's a good signing that you can make. Uh, he has also pretty high upside. So it, like, it's very stern Z in that way. Like Jackie Bradley Jr has had some very good seasons. He's generally above average offensively. He, he had a couple down ones, but he was good again last year. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's really that it, and you don't worry. The Brewers never worry about how much playing time or fitting guys into situations. If there's a quality right. guy out there um, and he, he just turned, oh, he's turned, he's about to turn 31. He's right in that wheelhouse where decline might be coming, but maybe you stave off a bit. He, he is my favorite kind of player, a bat left throw right player. You know, that always <laughs> plays well in Miller Park. Um, and uh, that's really all it is. If you get a guy that good, it's not a problem. Like, especially, by the way, based on what we just said about Kane. Uh, and, you know, Lorenzo Kane is still a great defensive player, and he had a good offensive start last year before he opted out. But he is old, <laughs> and he is likely to get hurt, and he's like, four or five years old. I forget how old Kane is, but he's older than 31. And so um, a backup center fielder for the Brewers might be actually pretty valuable, especially if Kane does get hurt, or if you want to do some shenanigans and moving guys around late in games to give yourself an extra good defensive outfield. So um, there's a lot you can do with a player of his caliber. I don't think they'll sign him because I think he'll be too expensive, which is really all you need to talk to know about him to know how, how quality he actually is.
2: Yes, and I think that building on that, it's not just that he's too expensive. It's that he's going to be looking for a place where he can go play. He's going to look at the Milwaukee outfield situation and go, they have three potentially good outfielders there. I don't know why necessarily fit into that, especially if you then extend it. Well, if the DH comes along, that still doesn't necessarily open up a spot for him because it more likely opens up a spot for uh, Vogelbach and Hura to be able to play most days and not have to be at first base. So I don't know that this necessarily – in a lot of ways, he's a redundant a redundancy for Kane. Like, his yeah. his calling card is his defense. Jackie Bradley Jr., yes, he has had some some solid seasons of offense, 119 OPS plus, 118 OPS plus in 15-16, 118 in, in, in 2020. But he was much more, you know, around 90 before that. But what makes him great is – or makes him very good is spectacular defense. Well, that's Kane. Yep. So it's sort of redundant. Yes, he's a lefty, and that would give them another dimension, you know, a left-handed bat, and I'm sure that's part of why they were looking into him.
1: I'm sure it is, too. Right. He does have pretty drastic platoon splits, by the way. He's very much Miller Park bat.
2: Right. <laughs> but if you're him, I'm, if, if you're taking a one-year contract to try to showcase your skills, you don't necessarily want to go to the breweries, and that's tricky. You know, if you're Jackie Bradley Jr., just because of the way this this situation is is built up right now, I don't think he's necessary. We're necessarily a fit for him for what he yeah. needs. So, I would not anticipate it
0: happening unless, yeah, you know,
2: something changes.
0: He'll end up on the Cubs or something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I think you know, you guys talk about the left handedness, and I think that's what makes him most attracted to the Brewers is that's what they're kind of missing right now. And that's what they've always liked, you know, whether it's Ben Gamble or someone else is that backup outfielder who hits lefty too. Um, and, and, you know, it, like you guys mentioned too, Kane's far from a sure bet to play the whole season. So they don't want to be stuck with a Ben Gamble type in center field either. If that <laughs> would to happen, Right. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, from the Brewers perspective, they don't worry too much about where all these plate appearances are going to come yep. from. You know, there's going to be enough shifting around. I, I'm sure, you know, Kane and Garcia are going to get plenty of off days, that kind of thing. Yeah. It, maybe they asked Jackie Bradley Jr. to play first base like Shinsu Chu again. I don't know.
1: But By the way, um, um, Park Factor-wise, Jackie Bradley is even better in Fenway than he is against right-handed pitching. Um, and Miller Park and Fenway actually play very similar for whatever reason that is true um so having him on a platoon job in miller park probably makes him a close
0: to elite hitter there you go more reason to do it (laughs) okay uh moving on the next patreon question comes from pj wessels he says spring training games start this weekend with braun not currently on the team Who's your candidate to be the starting hitter who has the fewest appearances? I love this question. <laughs> who's going to take over the Ryan Braun role of, eh, we'll get around to playing in a few weeks here. Uh, I guess, Ryan, who's your pick? Fewest played appearances among the regulars.
1: Man, this is really hard. I. It's hard because it normally I think would be Kane, but he took so much time off that he's going to need that. Right. Yeah, yeah,
2: I know what they said with Yelich too, is that they want to get him action early, then ease right. off of him in the middle of camp, and then ramp back up at the end of camp. So, man, I think I'm just going to take Kane, because <laughs> it makes the most sense of bad choices. But, yeah, I don't think we're going to see a true Ryan Braun situation with Lorenzo yeah. Kane.
1: When you're coming off a, a, a half season or whatever you want to call 2020, where the entire offense kind of struggled and you don't have any old timey veterans with cachet to do the Ryan Braun thing other than Ryan Braun. Um, yeah. I, I, everybody needs the work. So it, it probably is Kane just because he, he, he can pull that off and he was good last year and he just probably needs his swings to get himself right. Um, but everybody else um, really needs to get in there and work it, work stuff out. So I, I'll go with Kane too, but I think, I think you'll see the vets take, more than their normal share of, of hacks this
0: off this uh, spring training. Right. I, I'm trying to think too, because normally I would go yellow, but man, he was so screwed up last year. He needs the extra time. Uh, same with Keston Hira. Nice definitely needs to hit. Yeah. <laughs> you, you need, you, you need the live reps. So maybe it's like Colton, Wong. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like that's not I, a bad call. He is, yeah. you know, a respected veteran. He's just new to the team. So um, that might be the case. Wong's not right. a bad pick. Right. I don't. I, other than that, maybe Avi Garcia. I, I have no idea because, yeah, it's an interesting situation where everybody kind of needs those reps. Better not be Avi Garcia. That's all I'll no. say about that. <laughs> Paul just wants to make sure he he, he hits in the air. It's the, it's the reverse Willie Mays Hayes. He always see 20 pushups <laughs> every time he hits it on the ground. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next Patreon question from Jay Google. Suck it, Steve. Jay is asking us, what are a couple of the non obvious things you guys are looking forward to seeing? He's suggesting, is it Freddie still getting stretched out and him working on a fourth pitch, Yelich getting swings immediately in camp, or something else? So I guess, Paul, you, you mentioned Avi Garcia hitting the ball in the air. Do you have anything else you, well, you want to add to that list? I feel like all mine are kind of obvious. Um, th- that's the
1: Everybody has glaring deficiencies on the offensive side. I, I'm. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure, really. Uh, I guess my not-obvious one would be Adrian Hauser a- adding uh, mm-hmm. some pitch to get opposite side hitting out. That, that would be yeah, the one that one. I really want to pay attention to is if he's got a change up or something with arm side break that is going to be functional in that role because that'll go a long way towards determining how the rotation looks, how effective he'll be. It's really all about that for him. So um, that's a super important one that you really want to keep a close eye on.
2: Yeah, Lindblom's, what he's throwing in camp will be interesting because he probably last year threw too many pitches. I think as many as six or seven different like identifiable pitches. And it, once he got to the bullpen, he started to focus and hone more down. And that seemed to work for him and seemed to be more of a productive thing for him to do. So that would be something interesting to watch. On the hitting side, I think it's, it's really going to be – because we can actually draw some conclusions from swings and misses and strikeout rates in spring training. I want to see what Keston here is strikeout rate looks like. Yeah. That's going to be something worth watching.
0: Yeah. And for Hira too, it, it's more, you know what he's doing against the, the legit pitchers, right. And not like the random scrubs in the middle <laughs> innings. So <laughs> you'll, you'll want to see how he does there. Um, it's interesting to bring up Lindblom because I think he's kind of made some headlines the last couple of weeks, too, you know, with pitchers coming in. He was already somewhat of a, a spin rate superstar kind of thing. And I guess he did even more work. And now it, I was just always amazed with Lindblom how everything had a little bit of a wiggle to it. And apparently it, it's even more so this year. So I, I guess that'll be interesting to see how that works into the whole rotation race. I think Freddie getting stretched out again is fun, not terribly surprising, considering what we talked about with, they're just going to need innings from guys, right? So whether yeah. it's Freddie pitching five innings in the rotation or four in the bullpen, I think stretching him out makes a lot of sense. If Freddie gets a change-up though, then like my eyes light <laughs> up, right? And I that's kind of what Jay was talking about is Freddie's working on a change-up to go with the, the breaking pitch that he can kind of use to keep guys Fre- off balance.
1: Freddie but. might be like my favorite Brewer pitcher because his... His floor is is really high. Like we've seen what the floor of Freddie is, which is just yeah. dominance, wipeout against righties with occasional brilliance against entire lineups. It, he, I think he's sort of an un, uh, an undersold story of a p- potential upgrade because if he starts to be able to get out opposite side pitching, like he has ace potential as much if not more than Burns does. Like right. they've always kind of been linked together. They're kind of same yearish, they came at the same time, and. Uh, He has better stuff than Burns stuff. That might not be true anymore. Burns stuff's awesome, but Freddy's stuff's great. Um, And if he can actually figure that out, then they have another super great weapon that they can do rotation. And, you know, like, he can, in his current role as, you know, long, long reliever of excellence, that's also plenty good. So I love Freddy.
2: Well, and there's also the age factor with Freddy. He is not even 25 yet. He will turn 25 in June. So there is still... I think some idea that they have been slowly sort of bringing him along, and he did sign that extension last year. It seems like a billion years ago now, but he did sign that (laughs) extension. And so the Brewers have him under a very reasonable contract for quite a while now. And I think they do want to see where he fits best and where he can excel the most, and I think they're probably pretty okay with if that's in the bullpen or if that's yeah. in the rotation. I don't think they necessarily care. They just want to find a place where he's going to be able to be a dominator. And I think that uh, there's a there's still a pretty decent chance that we see that. It's just a matter of waiting and seeing.
0: Yeah, uh, if anybody's got the potential to take a leap like Corbin Burns last year or Woodruff two years ago, I, I yeah. think it's Freddy this year, right? So. And that would do a lot for the Brewers' chances in the division, too. Uh, speaking of Corbin Burns, another fun question coming from Anthony Martin on Patreon. A hypothetical situation in a parallel universe, he says. 2020 Burns versus 2019 Yelich with a World Series berth on the line. Who you got?
2: So I'm assuming they're facing each other yes. on different yeah. teams? So, okay. Yeah. And, like, this is a two-out, like... <laughs> Bottom of the ninth situation, which yeah. inherently favors the pitcher because all the pitcher sure has to do is get that one out. So give me the pitcher every time,
0: right? But I, come on, you're thinking uh, too th- logically. Well, the, that's th- the, 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 the question. Thing, is God th- mode Yelich against Burns. You've you've awesome asked hits.
1: logical people this question, and I'm sorry, yeah. but it, it it is Burns. Um, uh, even awesome hitters make out get out most of the time. Now. Um, you do have you have a platoon advantage here for Yelich, so it's it's probably closer than it normally would be. But unless you're Barry Bonds and you're getting on base 65 percent of the time, it's burns.
0: Sorry, it's burns. It's boring. But <laughs> well, it and if it's
2: at Miller Park, that's another advantage for Christian Yelich, right?
0: Yeah. Right. Right. At so, come on, let's let's have a little bit more fun with this. Uh, so. <laughs> You've got All right. up, The version pl- of Yellich, Christian Yelich platoon splits from 2019, was basically Barry Bonds in 2019 before he got hurt. Uh, but you've got Corbin Burns in 2020 who seemed to fix the home run issue. So home run, not likely, even though they're at, if they're at Miller Park, I don't know. I, I'm trying to talk my way into Yelich on this. Uh <laughs> He I mean, if, you let, me pick, if you let me pick, if you let me pick a hitter to be in the situation,
1: I would pick him. But that's, yeah,
0: you know, that you, they are not... both in the pitching wins camp. I I get that, and and you know, I'm world biggest Corbin Burns fan, so I, I'm just trying to to play devil's advocate here. Come on, embrace debate. Paul. <laughs> His on base percentage was
1: 4.55 against righties that year, so that, it's close to be. See? And, See? Yep, almost, almost and 4.51 at home, so you can you can make a case for Um yeah, I, 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 I still got to go pitcher, though, especially with one out to get like, um, sure. you know,
0: Burns can also just l- unleash whatever he has in reserves at that point. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Slider of death, whatever. Yeah. OK. Uh, we also ask for Twitter questions. Reminder, we put those questions out on our Twitter account at tailgate every single week. If you have a question there and you're not a patron, you can just reply to that tweet and we'll try to get to it. You can also send us tweets individually. Ryan is at rdtop. top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L James with a Y. And we actually got a ton of Twitter questions this week too. So let's try to roll through these. I guess, speaking of pitching and pitching dominance, our first one is from, I, I hate these. I, I shouldn't say I hate these Twitter questions. It's just, you know, you interact with people and you have no idea how to actually pronounce their name. Yeah. That's a really there. Old Spurge. Let's go with that. Uh, they're asking 2021 uh, Brewers look to have the best pitching staff since question mark. I'm kind <laughs> of in love with it. LOL. Uh, I think I'm in love with this pitching staff too. I think we're all kind of really high on it, but yeah. I guess uh, Paul, how far back do you have to go to think of a pitching staff, I guess, this good, this deep for the Brewers?
1: Uh, kind of a long time. So, so first of all, I think there's a chance that this will end up being the best pitching staff they've ever had. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's very, very good. And so the, like the 82 team did not have actually that good of pitching. They had a lot of okay innings eaters that happened to have good, good years, but it it wasn't great. Um, And so I I think you kind of have to go back to the recent ones, like the Sabathia teams to have comparable Mm -hmm. seasons, but like they all had holes and problems too. So um, I, I think the answer is probably 2011, 28, yeah. 2000, but but it's close. And the answer is probably is more likely to be never th- <laughs> th- it, like, than it is to be one of the actual recent playoff teams. So 2011
2: uh, is is a very good pitching staff. It's a lot deeper. I think deeper it's 2011. Than, yeah, 2011 is a deeper pitching staff I think maybe than people remember. Their third and fourth starters that year were Sean Markham and Randy Wolf who are both, yeah. you know, well, solidly above average. And that's after Gallardo and Reinke, yeah. who were very good. And their bullpen, once they added K-Rod to it, was deep. People forget. Marco that they... was on that
1: team, too, by the way. Marco, Marco was the Estrada was.
2: Time. Narvaez was on that team. You yeah. had... Uh, so you had some some serious depth in the rotation in a way that the Brewers traditionally have not had. That's really not within their history. Uh, but they also had some depth in the bullpen between Takashi Saito and K-Rod and Axford yep. were all quite good. So that one was pretty good. The one that I think people forget about a lot is the 1992 team. And that one is because it really was sort of a pitching and defense team that was built around that Let me see if I can pull up the the AL numbers here for it. Just to confirm that my memory on this isn't bad. (laughs) I just remember I had a baseball game on the Sega Game Gear that like the Brewers pitching staff. Oh, yeah. The Brewers pitching staff that year, everybody was good. It was just that is a good
1: pitching staff.
2: All right. uh, They led they uh, led the American League in runs allowed per game. They have 3.73 and it really wasn't close. The next team is Minnesota at 4.03. And then Baltimore at 4.05, 4.12. Like they were, they were wow. They were th- three-tenths of a run better than the next team in terms of runs allowed per game. Yeah. And then the the gap between number two and number you yeah you have to go up to the league average at that point. They were further ahead of the number two team than the the number two team was ahead of the league average.
1: Yeah, Cal they, Eldred was insane um, in limited innings.
2: Well, yeah, so. and and they yeah they were that was fully in the period of when they were running Cal Eldred into the ground. But uh, they also had it was just a, a really deep pitching staff. Jamie Navarro was yeah. good. Bill Wegman was good. Bazio yep. was good. And then the bullpen was incredibly very deep. Very good. Yeah, Holy incredibly cow. deep. Yep, you had Mike Fetters was really good. Like, this is one of those bullpens where the setup guys were better than the closer. Doug They Henry were was- way
1: better than the closer. This was a very modern team. The closer was the worst bullpen guy.
2: Mm-hmm. Jesse Ross was, was on that was team. Holy way.
1: cow. For people listening, Doug Henry <laughs> was the closer. But Dan Plisak, Mike Fetters, and, and um, Jim Austin were all significantly better than he was.
2: Yeah, nice. and there's there's a lot of depth to it, too. Darren Holmes yep. threw 42 innings and 255 ERA.
0: Nice. Darren Holmes in my uh, out-of-the-park baseball simulation that I've been doing uh, might be the best closer in baseball history. So fun alternate reality there. Yeah, uh, that that <laughs> offense was brutal. Holy cow.
2: Yeah, except what they were really good at, that 92 team, they stole more bases than anybody has since.
1: They... So that's good, but they had one OPS over 800. And um, in the starting lineup, so that's Paul Molitor had an 851 OPS. The next to highest starter was Dante Bichette with 724. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not good. That's even for, even for the time, that's not good.
2: Yeah, and the, after that, yeah, the yeah, thing was, seems... in going into camp in 93, every single, uh, every single pitching staff in baseball uh, they worked every single pitcher in getting faster to the plate because basically what the Brewers were doing at that point was they were stealing off of the pitcher every time. If you look at the the stolen bases that year. Uh, oh, yeah,
1: that's, that's Pat Lestash's. Um, it's Pat yeah,
2: Lestash's Pat rookie Lestash. of the year, but look at John Jaha. <laughs> stole yes. 10 bases It was caught done. He stole sure 10 did. bases. 10 of and,
1: 10 for John Jaha.
2: Yeah, so you knew they had something there. They had figured something out. And I don't know who – you could probably look this up on Baseball Reference. I don't know where to find that, though. Who the first base coach was, was it Davey Lopes? Uh, Was this, like, where he made his bones as being the the guru of go for, for stealing bases?
1: I do not know. I'm looking, but I can't find it.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure where either. But yeah, this team was—they like changed baseball, and then every single team in spring the next year was. I remember reading a Sports Illustrated article about Kevin Apier talking about how, yeah, we all have to get faster to the plate now because of the Brewers.
0: Hmm. One of those uh, really underrated teams in Brewers history, and I know that '92 Brewers are like a passion project for Ryan. So I always appreciate <laughs> him bringing them up in these conversations because I just defaulted to like 2011 as probably the best team i've ever seen so good to know all right next twitter question comes from spencer michaelis another question that i think we really liked when we were talking ahead of the uh recording this he's asking who will be the brewers third best reliever this year and why will it be justin topa uh, paul <laughs> it won't oh, no, y- y- yeah y- you it'll you be like this question.
1: yeah it'll freddy? be freddy peralta yeah Uh, I I don't think he'll make the rotation. So he'll be in the bullpen and Hayter and Williams will be the best too. So the third best will be Freddie Peralta. And that, I don't, that shouldn't really be that controversial. I don't think because he's awesome. So Justin Topa is good. Uh, he, he throws really hard and he seems to have good control and he was nice in a cup of coffee last year. So, um, he's one of those guys that could, you know, shoot up the charts very quickly, but, uh, uh, Freddie's stuff's great. And I, I do think he'll, he'll be in the pen. So I'll bet on him as the third best. And, uh, that, that's that's where I'll put my money
2: give me Suter and Peralta to be swing men too much to really count for this they're gonna get too many starts <laughs> and in that case I'm gonna go with Drew Rasmussen I think that we're going yeah. to see a breakout from him and he is going to ascend not that I think Topa is bad we were talking about this before we started and I kind of and said maybe he has you know a season or two in the John Axford mold that would kind of make yeah. sense there's there's yeah. some similarities there and
0: you also made the uh, Derek Turnbow comp and Paul had a visceral reaction to that. So. <laughs> yes, Don't I, like did. Comp, <laughs> I also fan. mentioned
2: Jim Henderson, who is now the pitching coach. He's in the Brewers system as a pitching coach somewhere. Yeah. yeah.
0: Somewhere in there. Yeah. I, I like drew Rasmussen in, in this question too, you know, saw him touch 98 already in the inner squad game yep. yesterday or Saturday as we record this, uh, definitely has triple digit potential i think when he gets up there i i think he could be like the next big weapon and just going from rasmussen to williams to hater sounds like a miserable time for teams <laughs> Especially, uh you know it, it, this year when you know the brewers may only have a starter out there for five innings or so i uh, i think that really has the potential to really shorten games so drew would probably be my pick too uh there's But there's a lot to choose from, you know, like we've been talking about. There's 20 guys who could be really, really good. And also, you know, it comes down to whether you define Freddie Peralta, Brent Suter as as relievers. So using using Ryan's logic, I would also go with Drew Rasmussen. Uh, Another bench end of the roster question, I guess, comes from Paul Ailsworth. He's asking, how likely is Corey Ray to pull a Grisham this year and become the crew's fourth outfielder in the second half of the season? Also, when's the earliest we could see? Hedbert, everyone's favorite, in MLB games. Ryan, you want to take this one?
2: Yeah. So the Corey Hart thing, I'm not going to... Corey
0: Ray. You said Corey Hart. I said Corey
2: Hart. You're right. I did say Corey Hart. <laughs> the Corey Ray thing, I don't need to hear more garbage from Steve. Uh, trolling me about this so i'm not going to say anything too nice about Corey hart right now uh, cory ray cory oh, ray, Corey ray <laughs> yeah i'm not going to say anything too nice about him but i mean he's not done the, he's not completely washed as a potential major leaguer i think i like the the theory that james anderson threw out there on the minor league pod Uh, in january basically saying i think you know there's a decent chance he's gonna have one year where everything kind of clicks for him at least for a a few months enough that he's going to have like one shining season in the big leagues where he's gonna hit for some power and then guys are gonna figure out that they don't have to throw him strikes to get him out and then you know (laughs) people will be chasing that for a while trying to get that that guy back but the other part of this is much more interesting to me and i did look it up and try to figure it out So, like, the fastest you could imagine a guy possibly making it is basically the Juan Soto timeline. And Soto was up and had uh, almost 500 plate appearances in in a season when he was 19 years old the entire year. He turned, yeah, Yeah. that is nuts. Guys come up at 19, but guys don't generally, like, play full seasons at 19 (gasps) and excel the way he did. That was insane, and it came out of nowhere. Nobody was expecting that. It was very much like when uh, Fernandez came up for the Marlins, where nobody thought there was any chance he was going to break with the team, and then all of a sudden he did, and he was amazing. Mm-hmm. So that would put if if we're on that same timeline, that would still mean Hedbert isn't up. Birthday is a little bit different here because he's an April instead of an October baby, so it's a, a different thing there. But is that would eighteen s- in April this year. He will be 18 in April, yes. Okay. So he's still a full year away from that even timeline working. And there's obviously a lot working against that. One, Juan Soto is amazing. And, you know,
0: <laughs> like, generational talent. Whatever. Right. Generational
2: yeah. talent. Don't ever <laughs> compare to those guys because that's right. not fair to the player. Nobody should be expected to be that good. And also because Hedbert lost this last year where he would have been presumably making a lot of progress. Now he did go to summer camp in Appleton, but that's not the same as having a season to actually play in real games and, and work that way. So don't expect it. I think realistically the soonest we could start thinking like Hedbert could be breaking in would be sometime in like mid 2023. Like that seems that would put him, that would put him in his age 20. Yeah. So he would be 20 at that point, and that would sort of, if, if everything kind of clicks and works really, really well, that would be the kind of timeline I would hope for.
0: Yeah, that seems still crazy aggressive to me, I guess. You yeah, because oh, like you is. mentioned, he, he, he missed, uh, he still hasn't played stateside, right, officially. Like, if you don't want to count the the summer camp, he hasn't played any games stateside in the minor he hasn't played a
2: professional game in anywhere
0: (laughs) that that answers my question yeah Yeah. so not even in the dsl because the dsl didn't exist last year yeah exactly so and i mean that's always a big thing for international signings too you know is going on the road and doing road trips in a totally foreign country like you have no idea how he's going to handle all this like He looks awesome in the batting cage right now. All the hitting coaches love him, but, I mean, there's also those factors, too. Well, I think we
2: do know a little bit. He's handled things pretty well. He seems like a mature kid, and the fact that his dad played in the big leagues is a big, big deal on this front. The Major League Baseball is not a foreign world to him, even though he wasn't necessarily around. He wasn't, like, following his dad around, because I think his dad had retired by the time he was even born in 2003. But it's still, it's not. this is not, like, an alien world to him.
0: That, that's that's a good point, too. Yeah. And, you know, these these kids of all players tend to rise up a little bit quickly, too, because, you know, they they know how to handle themselves in a the clubhouse or how to how that environment works, too. You know, you, you saw that with Tatis, all of those guys, too. So, I mean, that's a good point. Um, but, man, it, it, it's just still hard to imagine the Brewers having this type of prospect that could break into the majors at 20 to all this fanfare. I mean, Uh,
2: I don't want to throw a total bucket of cold water on this because it's not fair, but like, I remember having arguments with people back in what was it? 2014 about how Gilbert Lara was going to be in the big league lineup (laughs) and being a star in 2017,
0: (laughs) 2017,
2: you know? Yeah. So like granted, they're totally different situations and Perez is showing more as a professional than Lara ever did. Right. by far and there's a lot more reason to be hopeful and whatever but just like it's a good reminder to just kind of slow your roll and not expect yeah. it to be like don't expect a generational talent it, 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 <laughs> maybe it could happen this is this is not a terrible shot at having a generational talent but it's still right. way less likely than it is likely
0: right all right uh moving on our next question comes from justin Sain. uh he's asking again uh, it looks like Arcia and Urias may rotate around the infield and get time at third base. Since Colton Wong is the best defender in the infield, any chance the Brewers try and move him to shortstop or would that decrease his defensive value? I guess, Ryan, I, I don't see them moving Wong off second base like ever, right? No, I don't
2: think that. No. If, if he was going to be a, a shortstop, they would have done that before giving the job to Paul DeYoung. The right Cardinals. yeah exactly yeah. like yeah. that would have happened years ago and it didn't so no uh, this is yeah. that's it's not going to happen
1: he, he's been a second baseman forever and that he, he has the body type and prospect type of a second baseman he's good at defense but he, he's never really been considered for shortstop that's just not in the cards especially at this point in his career
0: hmm. wasn't in the cards in the past <laughs> either get it <laughs> fun okay uh yeah i i would just expect that colton Wong, like the guy like uh you know lorenzo kane they're just so good at what they do you just set them at that position and forget about it and try to move some other guys around too all right next twitter question comes from c paul martin he's asking which guys have the potential to take a step up and really become an impact player this year i guess paul what what are you hoping for so uh, uh, the big one that I think we're all kind of down
1: on because of the position shift that happened is actually Hira. Um, And just because he had a down year and showed some of the weaknesses that he was scouted for last year, doesn't mean he still can't be a huge impact bat. Um, That's what's in his profile. Like he was drafted for his bat. It's always been questionable as to whether he'll be able to play any defense at all anywhere. So um, just because he had one down offensive season doesn't mean that's still not there. And while he might not ever play like a truly elite first baseman, he can still hit the ball really, really well. So um, I I think that's your big one. Um, uh, Yeah, I I, I guess I go with him over mostly anybody else. Um, Give me Luis Urias. Mm -hmm.
0: And
2: the reason I say this is I was listening to a podcast with Eric Long and Hagen. I don't know which podcast. He's on so many different ones these days. But (laughs) – he talked about the fact that uh, they were they were talking about eighty hit grades, and he was thinking about who have I given eighty hit grades to in the past? And he mentioned Urius and it was a reminder. It was like a bolt out of the blue, and I'm like, oh, that's right. People used to legitimately put eighty on his hit. You have to understand, eighty hit is so insanely good. It's you're talking about basically projecting a guy to be a three thirty three forty hitter. Now this was three four years ago when people were yep. were putting that number on him. But it is a reminder of how good that tool was. And we really didn't see him last year at anything like who he really is because, one, he had the injury in spring training with the broken hamate bone. And then just as he was about to come back, the world shut down and because of COVID, which he then got. And it seemed <laughs> right. to be yeah, he, he did he, he definitely didn't have one of those no symptoms cases like it wasn't. To the extent of, you know, who's the pitcher in Boston who had the heart issues?
0: Uh, no. Rodriguez. Yeah. I remember Rodriguez, yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it wasn't like to that extent where he was having serious, serious medical problems with it. But this, it did seem to linger for him and, and cause him to not be as good as he was. Hopefully all of this is behind him now and he can go forward on a more positive note. But I think that we could see him legitimately become a very good hitter. Now, how empty that batting average is going to be has always been the question. How much power yeah. is going to be there? How many walks are going to be, go along with it? But at a certain point, like if you can be a 320, 330 hitter, if, if you can be anything like that, just hitting over 300 in general, it to a certain extent, it doesn't matter how empty your right. batting average is just because – you could you're still at least a a solid player so
1: yeah daniel uh daniel robertson too i think is is still has potential to actually make a big difference um a slightly late career breakout from him offensively wouldn't be that weird and he's shown good on-base skills if he can add a little bit of power playing in a better park perhaps um he's righty not lefty but there might be something there too
2: uh Derek fisher as well yeah in that category
0: whole lot of lottery tickets there. uh, A lot of spaghetti this year. Yeah, lots of spaghetti. (laughs) And our last question comes from good old friend J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. (laughs) He just suggested we spend the entire podcast discussing whether or not the Brewers retire number eight. (laughs) I don't think they
1: do. Just because there is baggage there and – um, I, I love ryan braun and he's been very important to the franchise i'm just not sure that 15 20 years from now they're going to want to have him up on on the big display with everybody else because of the fact that he his career is tarnished uh, it just is and if he would have had a better second half to his career and put you know kind of said oh i can still be a super productive mVp level player you know outside of all of the allegations and whatnot it might be a different story but it's not he hasn't Never been quite as good since then. His decline was fairly rapid and he's still useful. He's still, he's not a bad player and his swing is still a thing of beauty, but um, I do think in the future, they may not want to have Ryan Braun that associated with the team.
2: So this all comes down to how long does Mark and own the team and how long is he planning to own the team for? Because if this is a thing that he's looking to continue to do for the next 20, 30 years, hand it down to his kids or whatever, Ryan Braun's getting retired. Absolutely, that number's getting retired. Ryan Braun is his boy. And yes, there's all kinds of water under the bridge about what happened with Ryan Braun's career and all of that. But he's still, he's still like, that is his, that's his guy. That was his. We, Steve and I always used to call it the Mark Antanasio vanity project when they gave him that second, uh, that <laughs> second contract because the first one was such a great bargain for the team and took him through yeah. the majority of his good years. And the sure second did. one was, you know, always going to be through his decline phase and they just didn't need to do it but did. It was clear that it was Mark Antanasio trying to, to, you know, make a statement or whatever, the same way he just did with Yelich last year. Like, this is kind of part of who he is as an owner. And I'm not complaining. I think it's much better to have this than it is to have Cleveland, (laughs) you know, where (laughs) they don't keep anybody and they just get rid of all of these guys. So I'd much rather have that. But I think that if Mark Etanasio is the owner, they're going to do this. So as long as he's around, it's inevitable
0: right all right well my internet cut out so i just missed all of your guys's arguments but i'll just say <laughs> ryan Braun forever and i'm so very happy that freaking charter spectrum is my only option to watch the brewers this year so <laughs> thank you kind folks at charter for your crappy ass internet connection i'll well, cross them really off the
2: sponsorship list
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah they weren't
0: gonna do it anyway uh Milwaukee's tailgate brought to you by Bally Sports. No, uh,
1: <laughs> gamification <laughs> on the way.
0: Yes. Oh, uh, yes. Do you guys see that? How they're like, I guess, retooling the app, and it's it's basically going to be like what we feared, right? Like, yeah, read Craig uh, Calcaterra it, on
2: it because it sounds
0: yeah the, the, horrifying.
1: It's, it's great. The Calcaterra <laughs> article was awesome. They're 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 introducing gambling, and there is no way to spin it other than that. That is what's going to happen here.
2: It's free free contests for now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, because uh, sports gambling is uh, technically not legal in Wisconsin right well, now. Well, no, so. I'm just saying, like for now, it's
2: free. That's the uh, <laughs> yeah. That's yep. the the bait. And later that's comes the, the switch.
0: <laughs> can't wait for that. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that that's all the questions we had this week. Very excited to uh, finally get to start talking about games. I I really can't wait to overanalyze crappy spring training games for the next couple of weeks. Woo-hoo. But. You know, it, it's uh, live baseball, kind of. So we have that. Uh, before we go, though, we want to give our shout out to our new patrons. And, Ryan, it looks like we got a new one this week.
2: We do. Longtime Twitter follower of mine, and I'm sure you guys too, Michael Hank, has joined yep. up. And
0: thank you, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, yeah appreciate the, uh, I guess you shouldn't say follow. You already follow us. Uh, <laughs> appreciate you signing up for patreon. Appreciate the cold hard, cash. yeah. As you say, yeah. thanks for the money, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the money. Uh, five dollars. Ooh, big bite of that budget, anyway. Uh, reminder you can sign up to become a patron at patreon.com mke tailgate. Uh, that five dollar a month uh, level gets you that minor league extra. Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods, but there's also a two dollar level where basically just gets you uh priority access to our questions. You can do that too. Uh, there's also another level dealing with the Fantasy League, which uh, I'm sure we'll start to figure out in the next couple of weeks here because, holy crap, it's baseball season. Indeed. Right. Uh, reminder, also, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to our podcast, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, literally anywhere else you listen to your podcast, please do subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a kind review and help other people find the podcast as well. Uh, We'll wrap it up here because who knows when my internet's going to crap out again. (laughs) Thank you all for listening (laughs) to this week's episode. Hope you all stay well. We'll see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.
1: Oh, that, no.
2: was, that was fun timing
1: yeah so it one fifteen fifty. while while we're down um do you have a little hum um on your recording yes that... okay it's the and, hot and
0: water heater. Type, Rattini. <laughs> you cut out
2: yeah you've you've I been can gone
0: oh like the spinning wheel of death as i was talking that tartar sucks okay I could just jump into the last question. You can cut the
2: Yep. We're we're doing that. I'm going to cut it right now. Okay. 116 25. Yes, it's just gonna be there for this one, Paul. It's it's my hot water heater.
1: Oh, got it. Okay.
2: Steve's gonna okay. bitch if he listens, but that's his
1: problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Uh, restart in three, two, one.